Chinupa Hanska Luger, and I uh, am a father, and I am a artist <laughs> with a question mark at the end of it. Um, this is what I do. This is my job. I make uh, artwork, so I am technically an artist. Sometimes I think I'm a comedian, but I'm not funny, and. Uh, I make ceramic work. I, I make I make sculpture. I'm a sculpture. I'm a sculptor, and I use ceramic as my main medium. But I do a lot of mixed materials in there. I'll use yarn and thrift store clothing, or pieces of wood, paper, uh, just about anything I can get my hands on. I like to manipulate it and turn it into what I could imagine. I guess. So, um, where? Where did you begin? What, what was the, what's the story or a memory of the first time you were introduced to art? And where were you and who introduced you to, to the possibility that art could be a part of your life? My mother's an artist. So me and my siblings, we were all raised on it. And um, I guess that's where I first realized that it was possible to be a working artist. Um, I really didn't. It wasn't ever anything that seemed out of reach, you know? It always seemed like it was uh, a birthright, I guess. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to, how to explain it exactly, but um, I saw it work and function as a, um, as a means to living in the world. And I had been, I mean, I, I've been drawing and I used to do all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. I mean, growing up, I would a huge Lego fan. I loved building whatever I could out of Legos. And the more technical the Legos were, kind of the more fun I had with it. And uh, I also used to change all of the toys that I had. I, uh, I have a brother who's about a year and a half younger than me. His name is Polani. And he and I were really rough on our toys. And so we would break them all the time by either on accident or on purpose with like BB guns hiding in a tree and sniping our GI Joes. Anyway, a lot of broken toys. So I would, um, I would alter them and I would use Lego parts and whatever. I'm sitting out there like melting plastic and cutting up things with like exacto knives and probably shouldn't have been, but was. <laughs> and, uh, and realized that basically anything that I could imagine, I could make. And um, I wasn't limited by what the toy industry brought for me to play with. You know, I would see things and I would be like, you're pretty cool as you are, but I'm probably going to make you a sweet trench coat or sand your lips down and make you look like a superhero. <laughs> so I don't know. I was always always building something or playing, you know, 
in an in an imaginative realm um which i think carried over like i never really grew out of make-believe and did you grow up in a city or in a rural environment and how did that impact your imagination well i actually grew up in both my uh my parents split up when i was like two years old my dad lives in north dakota on a ranch and my mom moved to phoenix arizona um several stops along the way but that's where we were for the most part and phoenix is a metropolis um there it's a it's a sprawling city and uh and it's the grid. It's the complete grid. So it's like living. They were two different worlds. Um, out on the ranch in North Dakota, where I would spend my summers. I mean, it was pretty much fair game. Like when it's when you're a little boy and you're staying with your dad for the summer, you are pretty much a <laughs> a responsible person. <laughs> you are you are held responsible for all of your actions, and you are pretty much allowed to go wild. I had, um, I have two brothers. So uh, us three would just, I mean, it's amazing. We're here today. Honestly, (laughs) we, um, we're always getting into stuff and having, you know, hectares of land to play on. We would go out and like walk five miles to get to a really sweet, like uh, muddy Creek spot, you know, where we would play there. And I don't know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, catching snakes, which is crazy. Having that like kind of dual world allowed me to um, kind of grow up and learn what that is, that you are not, um, I never felt completely at home in either place or felt absolutely at home in both. Um, So it was both of those things. Um, And I think, you know, the rural the rural life allows you to um, kind of depend heavily on imagination and activating your whole body to participate in it. Whereas city living, you kind of, um, your world gets slightly smaller or it's confined. So you're in a, in a tight imaginative zone. And um, I think that, I think that growing up like that and having this kind of like dual life, um, really kind of opened my mind up to the possibility of um, being able to exist in both places, like a, I don't know, like a world bridger, you know, I was a bridge, I could connect the two, or as much as I was in the city, I'm so country. And (laughs) same, same, when I'd be back on the country, I'd be like, Oh, he's a city guy, like, bleached hair, or got arm tattoos you know I just kind of like never really fit in either one which allowed me to fit in both so what's the first type of art that you started getting into and did you do that up in North Dakota or was it just kind of more um at your in your cityscape where you were in this microcosm of creativity you know that's interesting I think I did a lot more artwork in the city um being in, I mean, one, Phoenix is ridiculously hot. So outdoor times were limited, you know? Um, I mean, we were, we were forever out there anyway, soaking up sunshine, but you'd get hot and you'd want to be inside for, you know, a while. And I used to draw all the time. I was a big comic book fan. So I would, I would read comic books and, and kind of emulate that style of, of, uh, of illustration. And, um, which I thought was really good because honestly, my 
that those comic books for as exaggerated they as they are were kind of my source material for anatomy and dynamic body positions you know and it still sticks to me to this day like it's really difficult for me to do a, a static figure um if that's if it's static it feels just that and that's something that i'm trying to emulate is that staticness you know what i'm saying because my go-to is just like super dynamic body movement (laughs) (laughs) cool so drawing was kind of the first the first part and um after you realized that you were you were finding a new world through the pen or the pencil what made you go to the next step and what was that was that paint or was it sculpture man the steps are totally random totally random I drew forever I love drawing I, I was a big fan of it even when I started painting I honestly didn't paint like a painter I drew I mean I I drew with paint that's pretty much what I did um and I, I, even to this day, I don't really consider myself a painter, you know, I'm just like a drawer with color. Um, <laughs> um, but honestly, my jump was from drawing into writing poetry. Hmm. And I got super into writing poetry when I was in high school. And, um, you know, one of my uh, brother of mine, brother from another family, uh, <laughs> lives in in New York and he and I actually became friends we known each other since like seventh grade but we didn't actually become friends until high school and it was because we were both closeted poets and uh that is just it's a funny thing because you know he was this total skater guy and I was this total you know wannabe gangster head you know like total hip-hop guy and a skater guy you know not our 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 peers that we we shared several peers because we were in high school together but um really we were just like odd men out and oddly enough what put us together was this like kind of obsessive writing scenario um which was that i mean that was a that was a, a a time in my life where i really needed to express something that i felt um you know that that saying a uh, picture tells a thousand words i think the right words can make you see a thousand pictures oh, um and i think cute. poetry is is a way to do that where you're not limited by the prose of pronunciation and stuff like that you're really just like painting with words is what it seemed like you know uh, poetry slamming was big at that time um and uh, i used to do that quite a bit uh, I also used to read, um, actually me and my, and my friend, we were invited to speak at, uh, a black youth conference and he's Jewish and I'm native and we're both pretty pale in comparison. And it was, it was a trip because we were the only two like non-black youths at this whole you know event and there were thousands of people there and we were reading poetry in front of them and and it was that kind of um that urban kind of hip-hop inspired poetry that um once again allowed us to bridge worlds from both of us too i mean both of us are um you know some some kind of wonder mutt people um well, we had we had the same experience that um, growing up in in city life and um, 
participating. I think the main thing is just participation. We used to go down to this blues club when we were in like high school. We were not old enough to be in this blues club, but at, at like 11 o'clock, they would shut it down on a Wednesday and um, and it would be a like a late night poetry reading place. And uh, Mama, who ran the spot, would make cinnamon buns, homemade cinnamon buns, which was like all the incentive a teenager needed to stay up late and read poetry was like, yeah, some homemade cinnamon buns at the end of the day. Sounds and awesome. And this this was happening when you were in Arizona. Yeah, um, this is while I was in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and I kind of like took him along. I had been going to this this place with a couple of guys that I worked with at a coffee shop. And um, once Eden, who is my brother, uh, and I you know, found out that we both wrote poetry in, in the secret shadow spaces <laughs> um, <laughs> of high school life, uh, I started bringing him to the to this event uh at this late night blues club you know it was like <laughs> such a weird scenario but um anyway we were received there because we um yeah we wrote and we weren't we weren't shy to perform it um i think that was one thing for my for my writing scenario was i was never a big fan of um like i never thought my my work would be written down I never thought it was some sort of uh, text that you could o- open up a book and read and read it. I always felt like it was more like an oral tradition. I wanted to speak this stuff, and that's what seemed. Um, that's how I seemed like I could really express the words was by me using my voice, and um, yeah. But that was that was once again that was a long time ago. That was while I was in high school. And, um, and, and honestly, the poetry kind of ran its course for me. Um, I, I got to a point where I felt like I had said everything that I wanted to say and everything that I was writing after that was just the same story with different words. And, um, and then once again, what I realized was to contradict myself, a picture says a thousand words and that there were things that I wanted to express that there weren't words for. There just weren't words for that. That, And I think writing the poetry allowed me to go through that. You know what I'm saying? To uh, travel beyond, find the, find the limit of, of expression um, for myself. I mean, I'm sure somebody else could word exactly, you know, what I was thinking perfectly, but not this guy. And so I started painting again. And at this point, and by painting, I mean drawing with paint markers like that is that's what I considered painting paint markers or grease sticks I would go out and do uh um you know some late night graffiti work uh it's a fan of putting animals back in the city so I was painting animals and sasquatch I always wanted to put sasquatch in like corner nooks and stuff like that because I don't know because I'm crazy and I think (laughs) that Sasquatch exists in the periphery I don't think you can focus on it (laughs) so anyway so I was like doing all this crazy stuff like that and um and my my brother Eden who at the time was um you know stayed the course with writing became an MC and I kind of cruised around with a hip-hop group doing live painting um at various events and that's kind of how I supported myself after high school was um 
you know, working in coffee shops or hotels, but then also doing live painting gigs, um, going on mini tours and auctioning off the work at the end of the night. You know, I'd like put up a sign that says this will be auctioned at the end of the night. Please make a bid. And I'd just be painting and painting and people would pitch in. That and I used to sling little tiny, like I never carried around a sketchbook where I'd be like, all right, this is an idea that I'm going to sketch out. What I would do instead is carry around a bunch of little canvases or little boards, wooden boards in my bag. And um, any of those ideas that I was hashing out, I would just piece them. They would become something, you know, a physical object that I could be like, and that was that idea. And I used to sling that stuff like a, like a, I don't know, like a dealer <laughs> slings eights of marijuana, you know, like I was like 40 bucks, come and get it. And I, there's like probably thousands of these little tiny boards around. I have no idea who has them because I didn't carry a sketchbook. I did. I, I got crazy ideas all over the place and it was fun for me to kind of like hash them out. And I felt more comfortable hashing them out and having something remain. Um, rather than like have a book full of ideas, like a book full of ideas I don't know what to do with, but a board that I can like sell or give away, you know what I'm saying? Share with somebody else and, and get rid of it. It's the making of it that was important to me, not what the final outcome was. So it's um, it became very habitual with me to, to work like that. Um, it, was, um, it was my practice. It's how I practice, own a skill. So after after you'd been practicing and doing the painting with markers and pens and stuff like that, what um, what led you into the three dimensional art? What well, I I I played around with three D work quite a bit. Even with some of my painting work, I would um, kind of structure the pieces on boards and manipulate the board. So it was a bit more of a three-dimensional, two-dimensional painting, you know. It would alter the the wall space rather than hang in a square. It would kind of fall off of that space and take over the wall into a more three-dimensional form. Um, and I also, I mean, growing up on a ranch and your mom being an artist, you're pretty much accessed to a variety of tools. And um, I would weld. I really kind of liked, I enjoyed welding. I felt metal was like a really fun material. I still do it to this day, you know, I'll use it in, in my sculpture and stuff like that. But welding and metal just seemed to be one of those really forgiving materials where, you know, if I didn't like it, I could cut it off. I could drop the thing while I was working on it and it was okay, you know, that's a patina. <laughs> just patinaed it with some gravel where it fell off the table. <laughs> but um, that always... Um, you know, just having access to these different sorts of tools allowed me to kind of like bridge in towards sculpting. And now my mom is a stone sculptor, um, among other things, but I grew up like sanding her sculptures, doing the finishing work, which is the grunt work, which is why you have children <laughs> so that they can do the grunt work for you. <laughs> my kids are young. Yeah, I have one kid and the other one's in the oven. But... uh I can't wait to put them to work. It's going to be so awesome. Um, anyway, but I, I was, because my mom did stone sculpture and because my brothers and sisters and I would all do a lot of the finishing work to help her out because we're a family unit, um, I was not interested in doing stone. I was like, man, that is way too much finish work. And uh, what what really kind of like got me into 3D as like a a real, you know, or I was like, you know what, that's where I feel 
the most comfortable is uh, going to school at the Institute of American Indian Arts. And is that a college? Uh, yes, and it's it's like a liberal arts college in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, is it for Native students alone? or No, uh, anyone can go there, but it probably has like a 90% Native uh, population. And um, for me, it was awesome because they were... Uh, there were tribes from all over the country, which was really cool for me to see our differences, you know, uh, from physiological to cultural to, I don't know, the, the when you're Native American, you're like kind of lumped into that word, you know, Native American. And um, and it's just, it's not descriptive enough. And really just like spending one semester at, at that school, you could recognize that, you know, um, me and my uh, friends there. I mean, I was friends with a lot of folks there, but, uh, my closest friends, we were, we were like Lakotas in, um, in the Southwest and we tend to be really tall. So it was really funny that we were like this tall group in the, in the, in the school and we all chummed up and I'm probably cause we could all see each other's eyes or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it, 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 uh, that school introduced me to, you know, it allowed me to play with more things in their facilities and um i got into clay there that's where that's when i started working in clay um so i haven't been working in it for very long um because you when, when did you graduate from iai i graduated from iai in 2011 and um so four years before then is or not even four probably three years before then is when i started doing uh ceramic work and uh, my ceramic instructor there, Karita Coffey, God bless her, allowed me to sit in the back of the room and just go for it. She was like, you know, I, I have a curriculum here and we have so many um, things we're going to work on in the year. And she was like, clearly you are going to do more than, than what I have, you know, in the curriculum. So I'm just going to let you have a table in the back of the room you can listen in on you know i'll be teaching various techniques and other than that just go nuts back there and um i eventually became the the uh studio tech in there i was the i did a lot of the firing and learned how to use the kilns and stuff like that which was really beneficial for me and um probably having those responsibilities and like stacking clay boxes and all of those sorts of sort of sweeping, you know, all of those little things that, that go around like being in a ceramic studio probably is the reason why it set in so strongly, you know, cause I've, I had, um, oh, I'm such a control freak and I had some control, I had some power. I was like, yeah, I can fire this tonight. It'll be fine. You know, or I got keys to the studio so I can go sit in there after lunch or in between classes. Anytime I had a break, I was sitting in the ceramic studio working on something. Um, and a lot of the time I had the space to myself, which was great. So and what kind of, um, what kind of a process did you enjoy doing with clay? I mean, what was your first thing, the wheel or hand building or, um, I, I, I tried everything. I think what worked the best for me was hand building. I like, um, I do hollow construction, sculpture, uh, a lot of slab, slab and paddle, uh, techniques. And really I do things I, I mean, my teacher told me I do things backwards. She'll like come up, she would come up to me and she'd be like, that is not what that tool is used for, but 
go to town because you seem to be making it work, you know? And, and, uh, so I just, the not knowing allowed me to learn things, you know what I'm saying? Rather than somebody telling me how to do something or how not to do something, I was pretty much given free reign to like blow it if need be, you know, I failed, I failed a lot. Like there was, I think the thing that I liked the most about the clay was that you, when you start working in it, you enter a partnership with this clay, you know, you're like, for as, for as, um, for as much of a control freak as I am, I like that I have to work with the material, that the material is, will straight up deny me, you know? And it's like, dude. It's, what are, what are some examples of that? Um, well, weight, uh, just the weight of wet clay and, um, and the soft nature of it. Like if you build out too much, it really like, I, I have a tendency to just go like, crazy and and work on something for you know ridiculous amounts of hours and just like put it all in right then and there and the clay oftentimes because it's a it's a wet material and it's in flux man it's a changing you know um it like tells me it's like dude you gotta stop right now you gotta just sit back you know (laughs) go and get a sandwich or something which i forget to do a lot and um i don't know and 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 then the firing process, like there's there's so much process in ceramic work. I think that's what I really enjoy about it is, is that um, you're not done until you're absolutely done. You know, there's there's firing, there's glazing, and all of that comes after the building of it. And the drying process, like everything is, um, everything's a little bit of a challenge. And if you slack anywhere along the line the clay will just be like no way dude you blew it and i'm gonna crack right here (laughs) and uh and then that's the other thing too is that you learn how to um do triage you learn how to repair things and fix things when they're you know before it's too late and and i always think that's pretty cool too like being able to or even after the fact like say you fire a piece and the kiln over fires and you've got something that's starting to slump and uh but it's vitrified and you're like, holy crap, this is like glass, but, uh, it's not what I was shooting for. And you're like, well, what can I, what can I make out of this then? You know, I don't know. It just keeps you there with all those different aspects of, of clay building and, and just the process of clay into ceramic. Like the whole thing is just pure alchemy to me. And I feel like a, like a wizard or something while I'm working (laughs) real, real cool wizard. the coolest wizard that's what i'm okay we're gonna start over and when you ask what i do i'm gonna say wizard (laughs) yeah i need i need to get all new cards now While I was at school and we're, um, you know, I've got this tight, tight-knit friends, you know, and it's not a very large school, too. It's pretty small, so you're you're pretty active in in that community. How big do you think the student body was when you were going there? Oh, man. Um, I don't know exactly. Maybe 1,500. I think only, like, 
60 people graduated in my class or something like that. Like it wasn't, wasn't very big. Um, and I was, I was at an age, like I didn't go to school until I was 27 years old. So, um, at that school, there was kind of like two demographics and I was somehow right in the middle. Um, there were kids who just graduated high school who were going to school, you know, like the, I guess, normal or appropriate way to (laughs) engage in college. And then there were folks who were like 50, 60 years old, you know what I'm saying, who've um, basically worked and lived and had a had a life and wanted further knowledge, you know, so they came back to school too. But there was like hardly anybody my age there. We had like maybe four or five friends who were kind of around the same age. And, um, and then all of your 80s jokes went over most of the people's heads or under their heads, you know what I'm saying? I was like, dude, my whole source of humor is... Just squandered here, and one of my one of my really good friends who um, who is also like a brother to me. Uh, he and I met from me cracking jokes from '80s television that only he got, and I was like, "Yes, sir, you are going to be my buddy because we can laugh about stupid stuff." Um, and we do we laugh about stupid stuff all the time. Some of our conversations don't make any sense; they're like a series of sounds and references to. Um, <laughs> 80s television so you know here we are this uh group of group of students um working in the art world in santa fe new mexico which is i think it's like the third strongest art hub in the country um and it's weird that it is but and it's mostly for native art um native art and western art kind of that whole realm um this is kind of the apex here in santa fe and you know, we we're working our butts off and making stuff that didn't necessarily fit into the um, scope of what was considered native art or or whatever. Uh, but we were all native artists, you know. Well, what is the scope? What was <laughs> to be considered native art? What were you not fitting into? Well, the the at the time at that time, the scope of native art was basically kind of romanticized versions of the native experience they were historical references um um they're all really strong and powerful pieces and these were pieces that our parents generation um these these were the things when they were starving to kind of understand what it meant to be native american in a, a you know in a society that you're um i mean kind of considered a second class citizen their references to these um you know, kind of like historical figures uh, um, or ways of life, you know, gave them strong reverence for for who they are and where they come from. Well, all of us grew up with that being instilled in us by our parents. Our parents let us know to be proud of who we were, which maybe was an experience that they didn't have. And um, but in that process, we are also existing in modern America. We are, we are raised on sugar and MTV and Saturday morning cartoons. All of these things were also our, um, they're a part of our experience and they're a part of our education and our growing up. And I, and I think that there was a, there's a story that can be told there. There's, there was an experience of, of, you know, like my generation and younger and even older than me, our experience of existing in the world, which remains a Native American experience remains a cultural experience 
but it wasn't being expressed artistically. I mean, there were there were pockets here and there where it was for sure, but as a whole, what was being digested by the the kind of art collecting society um, wasn't that. It wasn't a reference to where we are now. It was to reference to who we were, you know, and that you know, to a lot of us, that made us feel like we were trapped in a moment in time, you know, and not allowed to progress with the rest of society. I think we have a lot of really interesting perspectives about uh, what it means to be American and Native American and human. And all of those were what we thought was really interesting and that's what kind of we drew from with our artwork there was a lot of pop references um a lot of shared icons that that um weren't necessarily native american icons but definitely portrayed the warrior you know what i'm saying or or the you know ecstatic experience or something along those lines something that was referencing where we are today wasn't being seen in gallery spaces and so what we decided to do was um basically turn my home, which was a, um, was a warehouse that I shared with another guy. And, um, and you know, I don't, if anybody out there has ever lived in warehouses, you get a lot of space for cheap rent. If you can live like that, you know, (laughs) if you can, if you can just be what we always called ourselves was art trash. We were just art trash. Like, I mean, you wake up in the morning, you're wearing last night's Levi's with paint on the knees and your fingernails are dirty you know what I'm saying your hair's oily (laughs) and you're going to class for another sculpting class and what's the point of taking a shower if you're just going to be sanding wood and it's going to get all over you I don't know like we were art trash and so what what we did was we you know all of these like minds collected ourselves and we're like well um, it actually happened over a sandwich, oddly enough. I was eating sandwiches with my buddy Micah, who I was talking about before, my 80s movie reference. And um, Micah and I were like just eating a sandwich and we were talking about, man, we should, we, should, uh, we should put on a show. We should make a show that we can, you know, create work towards or something, build, build a body of work towards rather than just doing your homework all the time and working in class, you know, actually have something to, to work towards. And, um, you know, I'm shooting it out there as like an idea, but Micah just calls my bluff and says, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so we're like running flyers off, you know, half an hour later of what we're going to do, you know? And, um, and, it, and that was, that was a, a kind of an interesting turning point for me artistically. It, um, it it made me realize that uh, you're only as trapped as you want to be. You know, you're only as stuck as you imagine. And I could sit there and perceive that there are all these doors and walls and bars and whatnot closing in on me and not allowing me to express myself and to reach through and to actually, I mean, because at the end of the day, what an artist wants to do is communicate. I was tr- just starving to communicate, you know, and that's the best way I knew how. And, you know, and you're thinking, you know, this whole time in my head, I'm thinking that, oh, they're stopping me from saying what I want to say or something like that. And the fact of the matter was, it's just like, do it, you know, and it was as instant as my buddy Micah saying, yeah, okay, you know, that, (laughs) that, that shifted. And um, so we proceeded for, you know, probably two or three years, maybe after that, 
after that initial sandwich of putting on a show a month. Like it was, wow, it was pretty insane. I mean, there would be gaps, there would be like a two month gap in between, but um, what we had was a space. I had this big warehouse space. I lived, there was an office built inside of this warehouse space. And above the office, there was probably about, well, the whole roof was slanted. So at one side, it was probably like five feet. And the other, you know, at the most space I had was probably six feet. And I'm, I'm six foot three. So where I considered my bedroom was like a bed on top of this office space, which where normally you would like store toilet paper and cleaning supplies, basically. <laughs> and I moved a little bookshelf up there, put all my books up there in a bed built a ladder like we were so poor it was ridiculous and and I've scrounged up uh rebar that was laying around the the college that I went to because they were doing all this construction so there was just this supply of rebar I built a ladder out of like what I can find there you know just to express how trashy we were you know how art trashy we were like build what you can with what you got and that was kind of the, it was kind of the motto for the space. It was like, look, we're giving ourselves a deadline and we're going to have a show ready by then. And, um, and what we decided to do, which was, I mean, at the time it was like kind of radical, but it was, it seemed so benign, you know, but what we decided to do was like have shows that were open to everybody, you know, um, if you, if you had the guts to, put yourself down on any sort of, you know, artistic expression and you had the guts to like show people, you know, which is the big step, you know, it, <laughs> we offered that. We offered an opportunity for people to just put it out there, you know, and, um, and we would get, we'd get so many entries, you know, things that were, and we just put it all on. I mean, every single month that we put on a show, it was like salon style in this warehouse, you know, where there was, there was barely two inches of, you know, wall space anywhere in the whole place. Like we were hanging stuff in our bathroom and, you know, things like that. And even to this day, I have work <laughs> I'm storing from those years, long time ago, people like putting in or works that I had worked on or collaborative work. We did a lot of collaborative work there, which was fun um, because we we felt like having that moment was like... Um, was an opportunity for us all to come together. We worked in the space. So my friends would come over. We would, if we weren't playing music, you know, there was a lot of musicians who participated in this as well. Um, if we weren't playing music, we were painting or doing, you know, something artistically. At the time, I painted a lot. So there was a lot of and painting. Like I said before, I just draw with paint. <laughs> and um, But we had real painters there and printmakers and stuff. And we'd all come together and we'd work and we'd do these collaborative pieces where... We're just there kind of all night, like working on a board. And then once you finish finish something, you just pass it over to the next guy. And then he does something and you just keep rotating these pieces until it becomes cohesive, you know, or, or absolutely not cohesive. And there's just no more room. Um, anyway, but in that in that process, it would what it did is it really kind of raised the bar for each each of us artistically, where where when when you're an artist, so much of your time you're spent alone in your isolated space kind of working and the only opportunity you get to show is if you actually show you know if you actually put it out there and then that that's when you get like the response back but when you're working with a bunch of other artists and they're getting better it's like playing poker you're like oh man i gotta i gotta ante up i still want to play you know what i'm saying i still got a good hand here 
but if I don't ante up, then you're going to lose. And um, so it created this kind of like camaraderie competitiveness where somebody would do something and you'd be like, that's amazing. I have to up my game just to be on the same board as you if we're doing like collaborative, you know, or something like that. And um, and I think that kind of like settled in me and and in everybody else who kind of worked in that in that space that it created it created a, a like a family, you know, like a, a there was there was a nice tight grip uh, people, you know, that all worked together and and then people who came in from outside who we didn't go to school with who became like parts of this of this humble experience. The place was called Humble, um, which. Uh, we called it humble too it was because like one morning me and my buddy Micah were sitting there talking and we were like we need to give it a name you know and uh we all want to be like the super rock star guy because that's how we were raised you know you got to be super cool so we kind of went with the antithesis antithesis of that for what we call the space um we thought that you know if that's something that is inside of you is to be you know awesome and the best then the best thing to see on your way into the studio to work is something to remember. And so we called it humble to remember, to be humble all the time, you know, mm. and that keeps you grounded, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some of these shows were, they were really kind of uh, amazing. you know, in the process of it, we were just doing a lot of kind of like really different things, you know, different, different ideas. Like we had a show, um, called my way and, uh, and it was all, it was all skateboard decks, you know? And at the time that was pretty fresh, you know, it was all skateboard decks. We had another one, um, that was around Christmas time around the holidays. And we did a toy show where everybody made toys. A lot of fun shadow boxes we had a shadow boxer show and everybody built different kinds of shadow boxes and that was the fun thing was that it kind of like made you do something that wasn't necessarily what you always did you know and it was like an invitation or a challenge even too you know to be like hey this is what's going on make us work that fits in that vein and um and they were really broad so the work was really varied but it was really fun because it kind of got people out of their comfort zones and made them work in different different uh materials mediums you know just change your perspective which was gr good it's really good for you to do that um we, like i said we'd done this for several years we had um we moved out of that particular warehouse space we moved into another warehouse space it was a bigger warehouse space we took on more roommates um kind of shared the burden of of paying for that space you know spread it out a little bit more and um you know, one of my favorite shows was actually a show that was, uh, it was kind of, it, it was really a cathartic show. And um, I'm a little, a little uh, hesitant to like talk about it just because of how heavy it was at the time. But um, I feel like there was some learning there. So I'm willing to share the story. Okay. And it, it happened um, that one of our roommates um, committed suicide there. Wow in the, in the space and um and we didn't we you know he was a writer and um it was really hard for me from my perspective um because i didn't um 
I didn't know him as well as some of the other guys, you know, and but I knew a lot of writers and the brooding kind of aspect of him, I thought was just like a part of, you know, every writer I knew was kind of like that, you know, and so it never it was never triggered as as something was wrong, you know, and it, all of us were really taken by surprise um, from this, like it was a shock to everyone, really. And um, that kind of really threw a wrench in our um, in our kind of experience of being, you know, you, you think you're, you're at, I mean, we're all, we're all in college, we're all young, young people, and you, you don't think about mortality that much, you know, we're, we still are kind of believe we're immortal, that nothing can affect us. And, um, but then, you know, something like this happens, and it really puts you in check, you know, and it changes your perspective. And, um, you know, a few of us were, uh, I mean, who lived there, you know, that was our home. It really became really heavy in there. Um, there were several people who just didn't come by anymore, um, didn't come even to work or anything. Folks who lived there who didn't stay, you know, um, because of how heavy it was and, and what that weight brings to, to a space. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was, um, that there wasn't any sort of blame to what happened and that there wasn't any sort of, um, there wasn't anything that, that we did that was wrong about it. And there wasn't anything that he did that was wrong about it. This is just life and, and, and what happens. And this was the environment in which life happens, you know, but the, the mentality that kind of settled there was, um, was kind of taboo and dark, you know, it was scary. It was uncomfortable. And it wasn't the place where you, you know, where you'd invite, invite bands over and play music and like, you know, a, a jolly place where, you know, we had an old out of tune stand up piano with, you know, bottles and candles on it, just like a mess, this poor piano, but it got played like every night, you know what I'm saying? Like all of those like joyous experiences were kind of like overshadowed by this one heavy experience. And um, we came up with this idea to um, take back that space, that the space that was heavy and it was looming. And um, we did a lot of things to kind of like re-sanctify it for ourselves and be comfortable with it, but then to kind of create it, um, to create that same sanctified space for the community, you know what I'm saying, who may not have participated in all of that, but who came to shows and stuff, kind of re- open that space what we decided to do was um build a fort you know classic kid move it's just build build a fort you know and in that fort everything's okay you know it's there's no wall around you that you're looking at that you haven't participated in building you know there isn't a there isn't it's your shelter you know and we built it inside of this huge warehouse and what we ended up doing was we went and collected um coffee bean bags from a local roaster in Santa Fe. These big burlap sacks that raw coffee beans come in from various countries from around the world, you know, these these burlap sacks rolled in and there must have been a, at least a ton of them. Like, you know, maybe half a ton. It was a lot of of bags. It was more weight than any one person could lift and it came in on like a pallet. And we proceeded to open these 
burlap sacks up and that was our material for building our fort and we I, you know the whole community of of this of this collective would come in and they like may have not been there for a long time and they would come back in and sit there in that space talking to each other again smoking cigarettes bsing but working towards something and we're all sitting there with you know giant needles and yarn stitching together these burlap sacks and we build a huge bubble that basically enters in from the front door fills in this space which is like I don't know 40 feet tall filled in the whole thing we're hoisting stuff up into the rafters on pulleys and we proceed to bring in these uh trees these there was a bark beetle that killed all these trees so there are all these dead trees around and we were pulling in these trees and building these huge um figures out of tree parts live you know dead tree parts but like creating new trees that were humanoid or or at least something that we could reference as as um our friend you know or our friends holding this space up and their branches reached up and they would push on the burlap sack and they 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 like inflated the whole thing and we filled in almost the entire space with burlap sack and when you were inside of there you weren't in the warehouse anymore you were in this really magical space you know that blocked out most of the light from the overhead fluorescence you know and and it just made it this warm kind of uh earthy i don't know it was like a giant womb really for <laughs> us all to kind of grow in again wow. And in the process of building that, it brought our community back together and and um, kind of reinforced us that um, that creation is perfect, you know that, and and that there is a cathartic experience of making art. You know what I'm saying? And it's not necessarily what you end up with as the product, but the process of creation that is really holy. You know that that was the real. Um, I don't know, for me, for in my, my experience, that that show was pretty much the best thing that I felt like we ever did. And it probably had the smallest crowd, you know, that came and seen it. Um, we invited we invited people once again to come in and we told them to build um build little houses, to build their own little house, and we were gonna build a community inside of this burlap world that we created in there. And so everybody who came brought, you know, a little milk carton house or a little tiny, you know, something that they would call their home. And we placed them in the in the space and built a little neighborhood out of out of, you know, each person's idea of home within this larger, you know, structure. Um, I thought that was the best thing we did. I thought it was the strongest as far as um, it had a lot of uh, it was really expressive. You know, and it, and it was, like I said, it was cathartic. It healed so many of us. So do you think that that experience being like one of the last shows that you did as that collective, um, like influenced your process when you kind of went on your own to create um, as far as like using creation as the main goal? I think that that show honestly changed me forever. I think that experience um, and just you know, the whole time I'm really put, you know, asking people to come out and participate and to help and stuff because I, I knew somewhere inside of me that that was for me, the only way I was going to get better about, about the experience. You know, it was the only way that I wasn't going to feel awful anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, 
it was absolutely true. I mean, it helped leaps and bounds and it, and, and, and it, like I said, it changed me forever. From that point, I realized that, um, that this job that I decided to do, you know what I'm saying, was more than that. It was a life path and it was an experience that I knew w could and would make me better. You know, it would make me a better person. Um, yeah, that there's something, um, you know, that I'm really grateful for as an artist that I can work towards something that I know is going to make me a better person. You left me with a blue heart Really everything that I've ever experienced has participated in what I am now, you know, and good or bad, you know, they've all, they've all pitched in. Um, I think, you know, going away from that space and, and recognizing that power, um, it's something that I, I am grateful for every time I go out in the studio to this day, you know. Every time I'm sitting out there and I'm putting in, I put in ridiculous hours, you know, um, 16 hours a day really wow. is, is, you know, a pretty, pretty average work week where, you know, like you put in a lot and then you take a break and you're, you're like, oh, there's a week where I'm just, I'm wiped out. Um, I got a family, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have a family and we have to, we have to like take care of another being, you know, and, and you got to take care of yourself. So I work really hard. I, I want to work on like not working so insanely, but just the way my life has kind of unfolded so far is that I only have like a couple of months before a big show comes up and I keep like doing that for some reason, you know? So let's, let's rewind for a second. How did you get from being like the the outsider artists into like having deadlines for big shows. Like what, when did you decide to like play into um, showing at galleries, et cetera? You know, I think that what I did was um, really not ever decided to. And that what I decided was that I am going to make art and there is nothing that's going to stop me. And so I would just make and make and, um, and I would be, there would be opportunities that opened up, you know, mm -hmm. opportunities to like, say, do a group show someplace or something along those lines. And if you're producing all the time, you have a lot of work, you know. And so I would jump on every opportunity to put a, a, a piece in or build for a, a, a group show, you know. And it's a small community here in Santa Fe. So as long as you're being, as long as you keep putting it out there, you know what I'm saying? My motto is never stop. And mm -hmm. that's pretty much... I mean, the joke is that's what my my mom used to say to me is you don't know when to quit. And she's telling me I don't know when to quit because I'm tormenting my younger brother or my older sisters and I'm just being a little punk. But I never knew when to quit. I'd always go over the line, you know, and just keep pushing it. And uh, I think that that is absolutely true. And instead of like feeling bad about it, I'm just reveling in, in, in it. And that's kind of my my 
life motto and my art motto is just never stop, you know. Um, I'm kind of a firm believer in in honing a skill and uh, practice makes perfect, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, that's what I did is I just kept working, I just kept working and working and making new stuff and jumping on every opportunity that came up to show my work because I had already decided this is what I'm doing. Like, get get on board or get out of my way because I'm coming through and I'm going to make some stuff, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I found places that would, um, you know, there would be, like I said, group shows or um, I eventually came across this uh, gallery that opened up in Santa Fe that was a um, an art emporium. They weren't a gallery. They didn't represent anybody. They just it was a space to show work. Um, if you you could pitch him an idea, and he would you know say yes or no, and and uh, and it was a um, place called Eggman and Walrus in Santa Fe, and they were, um, I mean, really gave me the opportunity to put together a body of work and show a body of work instead of just doing a a piece here or a piece there, you know, I got to actually show a, a whole co cohesive theme created by me, you know, which is interesting because you change, you really can alter a space when it's all coming out of one person's head, you know, it's like, wow. So was that your first solo exhibition or was that your first thematic show? Yeah, well, it was a, it was a, it was like my first solo show, but it happened after my graduation exhibition you know this whole time I'm in school you know and mm -hmm. studying and at the end of your your uh, school experience you get to have a senior show and um, I got the opportunity to show at a gallery of a, a friend of mine's place who's a pretty well-known ceramic artist in in New Mexico really the in the country and she has a gallery and she was um, she gave me the green light to put on a show in her um, inner space. And I was, you know, usually you share these uh, share room or a gallery at the at the college for your senior exhibition, I got to do one outside of there. Um, and it was really nice because the the space is called the Tower Gallery. The the building itself is really old. It's an old, um, it's an old tower that they refurbished and turned into a into a gallery. And it has this really nice kind of um, earthen aesthetic, you know, there's something really warm and, and um, historical about it, you know, and I was excited the, to do my show there because the what I at the time what I was working in was some really strange materials, I was I really got into this weird material called uh, funky foam. And you can pick it up at a Hobby Lobby or you know, whatever craft store. And it's this it's EVA foam, ethyl vinyl acetate, and it's like a foam rubber. Comes in the brightest of colors, you know. There's always silly hats made out of it, or or oh, yeah. you know, weird stuff, uh, you know. Um, and I started to play around with it because I got one of those weird hats that had a pony on it, and I was like, sweet pony visor. And I was like, <laughs> man, I could do a better pony than this, and and started playing around with the material and. Um, so it's this really bright colored foam material and I'm juxtaposing that with clay, you know, ceramic work. And um and I I liked the the dichotomy of the two. One is like a respected kind of archival material, the ceramic time and tested, you know. And the other one is funky foam, you know, like you get it at a craft store. 
And everybody was like, well, what is the archival quality of that funky phobe? And I'm like, every day is a testament to its archivalness. You know, every day that it's here is proof that it'll be around because I have no idea. I don't think anybody really knows what its shelf life is. Um, but I was doing this whole body of work, this whole show that I would call Chimera. And it was all about the incongruous combination of different things. Um, so I made a lot of creatures, a lot of chimeras, you know, these like half animal, half human, half, you know, half and half and half all just jumbled together kind of figures and, and stuff like that as kind of a, a testament to who I am as an individual, like um, trying to understand your own identity you come to realize that your identity is just chock full of contrary hypocrisy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I am, I am, I am Norwegian and I'm German and I'm Lakota and I'm Mandan and Hidatsa and then probably a whole slew of other things just all kind of mixed into who I am. And, um, and we had all at one point been at war with each other and, <laughs> And, and you're the byproduct. And I am the byproduct of that. I am, I am, yeah, exactly. Which is, and you're trying to, you're trying to find yourself in the world. You know what I'm saying? And, and all you can go off of is like your histories. And then your histories are like smashing into each other violently, you know? And you're like, wow, okay, so who, who am I? And, and really what I found was like, I, I, yeah, I am. I am all of that, you know? I am. I am the monster. I am the chimera. I am the goat-headed, lion-bodied, scorpion-tailed she-monster of Syria. You know what I'm saying? I am like this weird thing, you know, that, um, and yet it all, that's me looking inward. You know what I'm saying? That's me trying to figure out who I am. And that's, that's what, that's what peers back at me. That was me learning. That was me in school. I'm learning. So I wanted to understand who I was, you know, and, and where I come from. If I'm going to be graduating from this school and putting myself out into the the world as an artist, you know what I'm saying? It's a pretty good idea to know where your base is, where your feet are, you know, where you're where you're pushing from. And so that was that, you know, that was that was where I decided I would push from is from that space. And um, I think my work from there, you know, it that continues to to be seen because really, I mean, all of my pieces are just uh, another projection of myself. You know what I'm saying? In some way or another, if it's not Freud, it's Jungian. You know what I'm saying? Like there's always some sort of connection to me and every one of the things that I make. And, um, and really, I consider all of my artwork byproducts. I consider them the, they're, they're what's left after this whole crazy thing. They're like me. And my work is like my experience of polar opposite things clashing into each other. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's some interesting that I'm just now realizing, you know, <laughs> that those, those art pieces, if they have to, if any of the work that I've ever done, if it looked back to try to find out who it was, it would find that chimera, you know what I'm saying? That like monster, you know, of different ideas smashing into each other. Because really, I mean, working, working in clay, you're, you, you have a thousand ideas that you want to try to make. And 500 of them are possible. You know what I'm saying? The, <laughs> so you lose half of them just right off the bat. And, and then the remaining, you know, 500 possibilities are whittled down by, by every little thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, 
you, you're working with this material and eventually you come up with, with an idea. Like I like to think that um, I'm totally in control because I'm a total control freak. I like to think that I, you know, this is all me going to town here and expressing myself, but I am totally at mercy of so many natural elements, you know, as I'm working that I really just, um, I, what I like to do is just remain as open to possibility as possible to use the same <laughs> word to describe it is stupid. Um, but like, i just have to, I, I have to be willing to, um, to fail. Um, Clay will teach you about failure. And that is definitely one of my teachers now, you know, I'm like, Oh, I absolutely blew it. Let's, let's learn from that. And, um, so any body of work that I, that I start on is not necessarily the body of work that I start on. You know, I, mm. I have an idea in my head and I start working with the material and the material's pushing right back against me. You know what I'm saying? So we're both just pushing on each other and something comes out of that, you know, this pushing of, of idea and actual material. And I tend to go with whatever that is. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. I'm not so like, I'm not so egotistical that I'm like, you know what, material, you're going to do what I say, you know, I'm like, okay, material, let's go wherever you're going, because it's probably cooler than what I could imagine, you know, <laughs> and so you just try to accentuate whatever um, kind of unfolds out of that. And really, I'll build like a couple of pieces and look at it for a second and be like, okay, the idea that I had is now this. And now I'm going to work like this, because this is really interesting, you know, whatever it is. Down the street, some pretty mama start breaking down with me. Start breaking down, yeah, start breaking down. The stuff I got a bunch of brains out, baby. It'll make you lose your mind. Whatever artistic pursuit it is, when you fail, it's not a whoopsie daisy. You know what I'm saying? When you fail artistically, it is like, uh, man, it hits you in the core. You know what I'm saying? You're like, wow, that totally just rocked my soul. You know, because <laughs> it's it's a failure of like total self-expression. You're like, dang, that means I suck, you know, or I blew it. I don't have any advice. All I have are like a series of quotes that I just continuously look at and I'm like, yes, exactly. That is the way. And um, one of my favorites that's that I think is absolutely relevant for that experience is a quote that I have magneted to my refrigerator. And it's a Winston Churchill quote. And it just makes so much sense. And it's, if you're going through hell, keep going. It's brilliant. <laughs> Because that's the thing. We all experience that. We all experience like having a hard time, you know what I'm saying? Or going through something that's absolutely impossible and awful. And you can, you can totally just sit down right there. You know what I'm saying? You can sit down right there, but, but you're just sitting there in hell, you know? And like, I don't know. I just love that quote because it's just like, just keep going because <laughs> if you stop now you're you're screwed you know and and i think that you know that's what i think of in those in those moments when something fails that i'm working on it's like man just keep going because i can i could stop now and never make art again you know what i'm saying like that is <laughs> that's insane you know that's insane to me 
And, um, but that happens, you know? Um, and, and I mean, there were opportunities when I first started where that's a possibility, you know what I'm saying? We're like, ah, oh, man, I can just stop now and just do whatever. Like I'm way too invested now to, um, to ever, ever stop. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the best advice I can say is just really like, just never stop, you know, that's it. What is success to you? What does success mean to you? I have no idea. I honestly, I keep pushing, I keep pushing that bar up. Success to me is probably something absolutely unattainable. You know, um, I'm happy and that is incredible. But, and the reason why I'm happy is because I, when I first started, I would set the bar pretty freaking low. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, like in fact, what I thought would be my, my, what I had in my mind when I first went to school to, to become an artist, I was already an, an art, I was already art trash. I was just going to school for the, for the paperwork really. And, um, but as, as I made that decision of that, this is what I was going to do with my life. I had in my mind at that time, living in a warehouse, working on artwork. You know what I'm saying? I had, I that had, was the top. That was it. That was the goal. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be in a warehouse, like just waking up and making art and, you know, cooking on a hot plate, like, you know, washing my hands, my dishes and my paintbrushes all in one giant utility sink. You know what I'm saying? Like that was in my mind, that was, that was a success. You know what I'm saying? That was making it like, dude, that's all you're doing with your life is you're making art. That is awesome. That's, that's a great success, you know? And, um, I totally reached that just by like renting a shithole, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was nice. It was a nice place, but it is not a human, it's not like, it's not the, the normal, um, home environment, you know what I'm saying? But, but like my idea of success was totally accomplished with a $500 a month payment. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so funny. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know what success is. I don't know what being, I don't know how to feel complete that way. You know what I'm saying? Like that, um, that scale of measurement is not necessarily like it's a goal to attain and it's terrifying to attain it because it is not enough. You know, it's an end once you (laughs) exactly, exactly. And it's, and it's, and, and, but it's, it's not, you can't, you can't shoot yourself towards something that you think is going to make you whole. You have to make yourself whole. And, And in that process, it just keeps raising the bar of what is success. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so make yourself whole. Shoot, maybe that's the maybe that's the, the the core of success. I have no idea. What I'm gonna say right now is gonna <laughs> blow it. <laughs> I'm totally gonna say it. Don't listen to me. You want you want some friggin' advice? Don't don't listen to me. Don't do what I did. You know what I'm saying? Like. You, it, we're all so different and you got to forge your, you got to forge your own way, you know, and you got to, you got to find out what works for you. And there's nothing that I can tell you that's going to work for you. I, I can, can make a few suggestions, but I could, you know, if you follow it for exactly the way I did it, it is not a guarantee. Question, question everything. You know what I'm saying? Question, question yourself, question yourself. <laughs> my God, first off, because <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to that guy either okay so so where do you so right now you're showing in um in a gallery in santa fe blue rain gallery 
Um, and you're also like um, working towards doing like residencies and um, getting into museums, etc. You're kind of just making art your life um, and is it in its entirety. Where do you expect yourself to be? Um, where's your bar in 10 years? Where Where is your bar going to be raised to in 10 years? What's your I, ideal situation, your future? I have a family. Like really the coolest things I've made are human beings. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they are the coolest things that I've ever participated and collaborated with is my son so far, you know? And... um as long as I can, I mean, really, it's that becoming a father is a paradigm shift. You know what I'm saying? That shifted, that shifted me out of the warehouse. You know what I'm saying? That shifted me out of that existence, you know, um, and, and raised my bar, you know, I was like, I'm, I gotta, I gotta make something happen for the longevity, the security, the education, and the love, most of all, the love of my family, you know? Mm. So where is that bar set? Like, dude, give me uh, two donkeys, four goats, and 20 acres. You know what I'm saying? Like, if <laughs> I just want to, I want to be a country boy all over again, and I want to raise my kids like that, you know? And, um, and that's, that's what I see in 10 years. Like, I don't know. I have no idea what my art's going to look like by then. You know what I'm saying? I keep, I, every time I work, I work, I work harder and I learn something new and um, and that's an exponential growth. You know what I'm saying? When you start, when you start knowing that you can do things, um, it opens up a hundred more doors of, of ideas. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you have, I have no idea where I'm going. I like, like I said, I like to make things, you know what I'm saying? I like to create stuff. I have no idea where I'm going to be in 10 years. I know that my family is going to be happy. Support your artists, you know, support your artists. We are all in this together. And when, when you're an artist, you are absolutely subject to um, the community. You know what I'm saying? For as isolated as you are as an individual and working and stuff like that, you are your subject is the community. You know what I'm saying? And communication and connection. And really, it's human beings interacting with human beings. and. Um, and that's what it takes to be an art maker and an art collector, you know, um, an appreciator of art. I mean, shoot, you don't even have to buy anything. You can come down and say, this is awesome. You know what I'm saying? You would like it on your friggin' whatever, uh, social media. And, and it makes a big difference, you know, to, to the individual. So, um, yeah, support, support your artists. So the seeds again
Tyler.